Nachyomi for the Orthodox Union, Sefer Yehoshua, the book of Joshua, Perak Yedalad, chapter 14. In chapter 14, we'll meet up with a, uh, a character that we have not seen since the story of the Miraglim, the spies in Pashas Shlach, and we will see his reaction all these years later um, in the aftermath of the crossing of the Yardin of all the years in the desert, of the battles to capture territory, we meet up again with Kalev ben Yifuna, who's an amazing figure. We'll see him again in later Prakim, again at the beginning of Shoftim he is mentioned. In essence, however, Kalev is a side player. He makes plays a major role, but he's not a central figure in Torah, in Tanakh, in the same way that Yehoshua is, in the same way that Moshe Rabbeinu is, but he is tremendous in the sense that in that moment, in the time of the Miraglim, he appears on the scene and he rises to the occasion in a way very different than any of the other uh, spies and very different initially in the way that Yehoshua uh, reacts publicly in the aftermath of the Hotzaz Dibara of the uh, of the charges made by the spies back in Pashas Shlach. But our parak seems to open with a continuation of where it left off with respect to the two and a half, the nine and a half tribes, and the two and a half tribes and their inheritance in the land. Parak Yudalid. Ve'ela shenachalu bnei Yisrael be'eretz Kenan, asheni chalu osam elazar kohen v'yoshu binun v'roshevos hamatos livnei Yisrael. These are the ones who essentially gave it out to the different tribes, to the ones who are splitting up and dividing the land to the different tribes. You have Yoshua, of course, you have Elazar HaKohen Gadol as well, and the leaders of the different tribes who ultimately then will have to make the decisions with respect to the families of the tribes as to who will sit where. Bigoral Nachalasam, Kashit Bian Moshel, Hamatos, and it will happen via a goral, a, some form of a lottery um, that will take place by which the tribes will get chosen and the land masses will get chosen and they will be uh, put together um, for the sake of exactly figuring out who will go where. The whole discussion of how the goral takes place and how it exactly happens, the uh, Malbim here has a very long diun um, into the matter, trying to figure out exactly how this goral took place. Um, if we have large tribes, will they end up with small pieces of land? And small tribes, will they end up with large pieces of land? Are we lotterying the tribe first and then the piece of land? Are we lotterying the piece of land first and then the tribe? How does it all work? Perhaps maybe it's just one of the two, and then Yoshua and the uh, and Elazar HaKohen and the Rashi HaAvos of the different tribes will figure it out themselves. So you can look in the Malbim. The Malbim goes on and discusses it there at great length. As well, one looks back into the Torah when the Goral is first mentioned as to the method by which will be used for the, uh, the dividing up of the land. One will understand in greater detail um, what exactly took place. So I have to say that a Goral does take place, and that is how the tribes are, in fact, divided. Kinasan Moshe Moshe gave the two and a half tribes their piece on the other side of the Jordan, as we saw in the previous chapter. And again, mentioning and Levim were not given a peace uh, in in their in their land. Again, as we mentioned, something that we've discussed before, why it's repeated over and over and over again. 
very worthwhile question, very worthy of the discussion. If we're going to constantly talk about the tribe settling the lands and getting their pieces of the pie, it's important to regularly remind ourselves that the Levium did not get a piece of the pie in the same way. They get pieces of different things. They get cities and they get uh, migrashot, they get fields, but they don't get um, a large swath of land and territory um, as the other tribes do. Um, as well, it's important to point out that, again, the Levium and the tribe of Levi is not centered in Yerushalayim um, only. Obviously, there are Kohanim and Levim there, but that they are spread around throughout the camp of the Jews, um, throughout the land of Israel, to be the spiritual leaders and teachers, and of course to collect the Trumos and Masros, and to make sure, in the spiritual sense, that the people are keeping up with their end of the bargain with respect to Torah learning and Asiyah Samitzos and the fulfillment of Mitzos. Verse 4, so here in verse 4, uh, maybe we got a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but essentially what Yoshua seems to be doing is exactly explaining what the, who the tribes are. Right? If you already have two and a half on one side of the river, and now you're taking out Shevet Levi, you don't have nine and a half tribes left. So he says, oh, B'nai Yosef are two, right? Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and Shimon, right? They're like Reuben and Shimon, as Yaakov said to Yosef back in the day. What does that mean? Essentially that those two tribes will inherit the land in the same way that Reuben and Shimon would inherit. So now you now get to your, your total, your sum total of nine and a half, by virtue of adding in Manasseh and Ephraim. So in verse 5 in, in Pasuk Hay, so just like God commanded Moshe, so too B'nai Israel did, and they split up the land. But before we get to the discussion of the splitting of the land, the first tribe that we'll see in chapter 15 will be Yehoshua, I'm sorry, uh, Yehuda. We hear a story now about Kalev. So remind ourselves who Kalev is. Kalev was the, the spy from the tribe of Yehuda, back in the Parsha Shlach, the Parsha of the Miraglim. Kalev is the one who the uh, sages tell us is the one who goes to Hebron, to Davin at the Kivrei Avos, to Davin at the, at the gravesite of our forefathers. And Kalev is the one who, upon the return of the spies to the camp, is the one who stands up to the to the spies and stands up to the rest of the people. Vayahas Kalev, the Kalev silences the crowd. He stands forward. He stands pat. He stands for our Kodesh Baruch Hu, and he is uh, forceful in the belief in the notion that the Jewish people can in fact conquer the land and settle the land. He along with Yehoshua, Yehoshua, who is the Mesharis Moshe in that story. Initially, he's the servant of Moshe. So. Of course, we, we know and we believe that he's going to uh, think that way. And perhaps in Kalev standing forward as uh, a second witness to testify along with Yehoshua, um, perhaps solidifies that point of view. And ultimately they're rewarded by virtue of Yehoshua ultimately becoming the leader of the Jewish people and surviving into the land. And Kalev as well, the only other uh, member of that group who survives to live the tale and who survives to see the fulfillment of what he said and the fulfillment of what he believed and the fulfillment of the promise of God of the Jewish people settling in the land of Israel. Before it is that the entirety of the land is uh, parsed out to the different tribes, Kalev makes an appearance. 
The tribe of Yehuda comes to Yehoshua and Kalev speaks. Perhaps they arrive um, with Kalev to simply be help, or perhaps they arrive with Kalev simply out of respect to him, or respect to themselves, that by virtue of the fact that they have a man like Kalev amongst themselves. Now Kalev speaks to his old friend, his old cohort, his partner as a, as a member of the spies, he speaks to him and he says as follows. You know what it was that God spoke to Moshe about me and about all that I've done and all that I was involved in and about what you were involved in back in Kadesh Barnea. You know. And now a little bit of history. Kalev adds in verse 7. I was 40 at the time that Moshe sent me out to be one of the spies. And I returned here with a report that was consistent with what was in my heart. Rashi adds the details. Rashi adds, But not with that which was in my mouth. The Miraglim were of one mind, it seems. And Kalev was afraid. Kalev saw not to say like them. They didn't want to tell them that he was going to say differently. And when he came and he spoke, he said the opposite. V'zehu shenemars, it says in, uh, in Parsha Shlach, Eikev haise ruach acheresimo. That he would speak to them one thing in word and another thing in heart. That initially they thought he was with them. So when he gets up to speak, in the story of the Miraglim, he gets up to speak and they believe, oh, he's going to say along with us. He's going to say something about Moshe Rabbeinu. He's going to speak negatively about Moshe, about the the chance of, uh, of conquering the land. And when he gets up to speak, he contradicts them and he speaks his heart. Thus the language, Davar Kasher Im that which is in my heart. My brothers who went along with me to the to Eretz Israel, Him Ha'am. They destroyed, they melted the hearts of the people. And I followed after, fulfilled after Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And Moshe swore on that day, That piece of land, that property will be yours because you followed after, you followed after God. Now what would that be? What piece of property is that? So there in Pasha Shlach, the commentaries tell us that that meant that he got Chevron. How do we know? Why is it that he gets Chevron? How do we know that it was him? God has left me alive for 45 now, 45 years, in verse 10. I've now been alive for 45 years since that event. From the time that Moshe heard from God about that. And today I stand before you as an 85-year-old man. 
am as strong today as on the day that Moshe sent me. I can go to war. I can battle for it. I can fight for it. I will fight for it. I will take the property that is deservedly mine based on the promise of Moshe. He comes to it now. Give me this mountain, this hill, this piece of property that God spoke about on that day. Perhaps as I go, and I go to that property, and I go to that land, I will be able to take it, that God will perhaps be with me, and will be able to inherit the land from the Anakim that are there. Parenthetically, um, we saw that story with respect to the Anakim at the end of the previous chapter, that Yeshua went to the area around Hebron, and he, um, he took that property, he took that area. We mentioned at the time, and perhaps mentioned again, that as it may have been simply that Yehoshua, as the general of the Jewish army, as the leader of the Jewish people, so that that victory tallies with him, and perhaps, however, that Kalev is in fact the one who goes to war, who is in the field of battle, in those in that fight for Hebron, in the fight for the areas around Hebron, uh, and is the one, in fact, who takes the land from the Anakim, from the giants, quote-unquote, who are there. Interestingly enough, is the language that... Uh, Kalev uses Ulai Hashem team. Perhaps God will be with me uh, in that time. In the uh, in the Mosef Rashi in the in the uh, Mikra's Gedolos version, the Maor, so he mentions the term Ulai. Ulai maybe perhaps is Lashon Bakasha. That not so much that it's perhaps, but more in the sense that may God be with me as we go. Um, as we go to inherit these peoples, we go to take the land. <clears throat> Whereas the Mitsudas David says, no, he says more in line with the basic understanding of the words, Ulai Hashem Osi, Ulai Hashem Imi Lechavsham Lugasham, Kashir Diber Perhaps God will be with me to, uh, to conquer these lands and to chase all the people that are there as he promised. Yoshua turns to his friend, his old buddy, a person who has seen so much with him in the leaving of Mitzrayim, in the period of Yamsuf, Harsinai. I mean, imagine what Yehoshua and Kalev have actually witnessed. An unbelievable amount. Unbelievable events in history. These great, these great moments in our, in our history as a, as a people. Yehoshua and Kalev witnessed them all. Together, essentially. Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Even before that, the arrival of Moshe in Mitzrayim, and then Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and the and all of the plagues, all of the Makos, and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and Har Sinai, and Yamsuf, and they were involved in the story of the Miraglim, and they're there in the Midbar for all 40 years with Moshe Rabbeinu. And they come to the edge of the land, and Yoshua is now the leader and according to the Midrashim, Kalev is one of the men who goes to Yericho as a spy with Pinchas. He's one of the people who speaks to Rachav. 
and he is one of the ones who comes back of the right in that group of two. They come back and they again tell Yehoshua that the land can be theirs. And then Kalev with Yehoshua is one of the people who crosses the Yarden and settles the land and fights the battles for all the years. Unbelievable what he witnesses. Unbelievable what he's a part of. And perhaps in a moment we'll explain why it is then that the story is here. Okay, Chevron becomes the property of Kalev until this day. For that he followed after the God of the Jews. And the city of Chevron was also called Kiryat Arba. By virtue of the fact that, according to some of the, com- the commentaries, that the person who was there, uh, his name was Arba, the large, the, the father of that group of, of giants, his name was Arba, and then it became the area or the, the the square of Arba, and his children, who also were ultimately giants, and the land, again, was quiet. Just to leave with a, with a question and answers to what exactly is the story of Kelly doing here? And perhaps we could have mentioned in one verse later on that Yoshua gives um, Hebron to Kalev. In fact, the actual city of Hebron is not, does not belong to Kalev because Hebron itself is one of the Aramiklats, It's given to Levium. So it's the outskirts and the outerlying regions of Hebron that are given to Kalev. The actual city is not given to Kalev. But what's the story doing here? Why, why are we told this story? What are we, what are we to gain from the story? So I think perhaps we can offer two possibilities. One... The first is the constant repetition of the language, that he continually, that he followed after um, God. By virtue of following after God, he is rewarded. By virtue of doing what it was that God wanted, by buying in and believing in the message, and believing in what HaKadosh Baruch Hu had promised for all those generations, he ultimately rewarded by seeing the settling of the land, and ultimately by being given the land of Hebron. That's significant. And so if Yoshua is passing a message along to the generations, perhaps that's the message that he's passing along to the generations. Believe in God, follow after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in settling the land, keep HaKadosh Baruch Hu in mind, keep Torah and Mitzvot in mind, constantly the notion of Emunah and Bitachon in God, and all things will happen, all things will be fulfilled. As you see, by example, in the person of Kalev. At the same time, we can also mention the idea that Kalev ben Yifuna is a survivor, and he witnesses all, and he sees all these events, and that in fact, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised, and what HaKadosh Baruch Hu spoke about, in fact happens. And in fact, there are witnesses to it. And in fact, there are people who see the entire perspective of history. I remember giving a shir once on the section in Perak Bays when Yehoshua sends Kalev and Pinchas as as witnesses, as as uh, as Miraglim, better to say that, that despise. Imagine what Kalev must have thought when he comes to the house of Rachav, and Rachav tells him that the hearts of the people of the land have melted, and that you will conquer the land. And all those years before, he was right. That Kalev, in standing up to the Jewish people and standing up to the Miraglim, he in fact was correct. That he had said the right things, and in fact, they would capture. He must have felt vindicated. At the same time, very sad for having had to go through all those years in the desert when in fact if they listened in the first place, none of those things would have happened. 
And here now, after having been vindicated with the story of Rachav, and now all the victories of the seven years of battle, Kalev comes to settle the land, it's a sense of vindication, it's a sense of fulfillment. Mile acharei is not simply only that he follows after God, but that it's malay, that it's fulfilled, that it's complete, and that all this is happening. And in the period of time just before Yoshua speaks about the division of the land to the tribes, he teaches a lesson about his old buddy and his old friend Kalev, and about his emunah and his bitachon, and his desire to conquer, and his desire to settle the land, and his desire and his belief firmly that they can easily conquer all the remaining areas and all the remaining territories. We continue tomorrow with Perak Tesvav with chapter 15.